Welcome all to Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to people who try to make your life a little bit better. This week, we're chatting to Dr. Yogi, Andrew McGonagall. Before I tell you a little bit about Andrew, just a little explanation of why we've been away slightly for a while. So we had a little baby. We had a little baby now 13, 14 weeks ago. And although we've been releasing one or two older episodes or previously recorded episodes in the time being, we are now officially recording again. So expect loads of amazing conversations in the coming weeks and months, including this one. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Andrew. Andrew's been studying anatomy for over 20 years, originally training to become a medical doctor and then moving away from Western medicine to become a yoga teacher, a massage therapist and anatomy teacher. He combines his skills and experience to teach anatomy and physiology on yoga teacher training courses all over the world and runs his own yoga anatomy trainings. He's written two books, uh, one book about supporting yoga students with yoga students with common injuries and conditions and his newest book is The Physiology of Yoga and that's published in June 2022. Uh, although you'll detect a clear Belfast accent. He actually now lives in LA with his husband. This is an awesome conversation. We touch on many topics from his journey from being a medical doctor to what he does now, dealing with chronic fatigue and anxiety, discovering the life-changing practice of transcendental meditation, finding your niche in an industry, how a yoga teacher should use anatomy, the importance of language of the teacher, and so much more. You'll have an amazing time listening to this. And as a reminder, you get a discount on Lifeform Yoga Mats with our code HUSTLER, all caps, H-U-S-L-E-R. Normally, that gives you 10% off, but Lifeform are an amazing ethical company, and they're now B Corp certified. If you don't know what B Corp is, give it a little Google. For them to have got that, it's ridiculous. It means, basically, they are a force for good in the world. Yeah, so Google B Corp. But anyway, Lifeform and our B Corp. And a perfect example of why they deserve that is for their Black Friday sale. Yes, there is a sale of their very ethical mats. Uh, but if you use my code, the hustler, or not the hustlers, hustler, they actually won't give you more discount. But what they will do instead is plant five more trees per purchase. So use the code just for the sake of getting more trees in the world. One final little announcement before we get started. I am excited to announce that I've got a 200-hour yoga teacher training starting next year. And it's not just me teaching it. So it's me. It's Michael James Wong, who many of you will know. He's been a guest on the podcast. He's a founder of Just Breathe, and he's taught yoga all over the world. And Mia Togo, uh, who spent years teaching in America uh, and then moved to the UK not that long ago. So Mia Togo, Michael Wong, and myself, all three pretty respected international teachers if I dare say so myself and we're leading a fairly unique training. Uh, the training starts with uh, an intensive in London in May 2023 and then it's followed by some pre-recorded and some live online content and then there is a Spain component for a week in September. So Wherever you are in the world, really, you could participate. As long as you can get to London for a week and Spain for a week, you can participate in this training. If you're interested, just head to 200hourtraining.com. That's 200, the numbers, 200HR for our 
training, Spouters Training is, dot com. 200hourtraining.com or just head to adamhustle.com and you'll find out some more details. Early bird ends next week. So if you're up for it, get in touch ASAP and any questions you have, feel free to fire away. But yeah, early bird ends November 21st. Honestly, I'm balanced. Cool. So I'm, I'm going to start off, not heavy, but not but not intense. You So you want to be a doctor. You went down a route where you, I guess, were expected to be a doctor based on kind of maybe family pressure mixed with your school setting. You had, yeah. you, I don't know if like my school as well was you go, you either become a doctor or you do law unless you're particularly talented at art. And then you end up doing something yeah that you realize eventually at some point you don't want to really be doing. And I guess you realized early-ish, you know, you'd gone through the whole process of becoming a doctor, but then realized quite quickly it wasn't for you. Can you talk a little bit to that? How did that realization kick in? Yeah. And what was there any backlash from the family? Yeah. Or like? Ooh, juicy. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, basically it's, it's essentially, you know, making a huge, like, uninformed choice because... You know, as a 16-year-old, you know, 15, 16-year-old that's trying to, like, plan your next chapter, <laughs> um, you know, you don't really know what you're getting yourself into, do you? And I remember doing work experience at a local hospital, and the doctor had a flashy car and a Hugo Boss coat, and I was like, I want to be him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Done. Like, that, like I, I just, you know, I just couldn't, I, at that age, I just couldn't get an idea of what actually the day-to-day -day life of being a doctor was going to be, you know? And I knew that I loved science. As you say, like I went to like a super academic school. So there was, yeah, there were a lot of expectations that I put on myself, but also other mm. people put on me. And um, I love people. I always have, always have loved working with people. So it seemed like the obvious choice. Also my big sister is still a doctor. She was three years ahead of me. So, it sounds weird, but it felt like the the easy choice because mm. someone that I was super close to was already kind of paving the way. Mm. Um, yeah, so basically got to medical school and God, it was such an amazing, amazing experience and it's helped me grow so much as a person, but God, it is, it was tough. Like I th I'm sure times have changed, but I had also gone from being a big fish in a little pond or a mm -hmm. puddle to suddenly being like a tadpole in an ocean, you know, that mm. kind of analogy that we often use, that's how it felt because I, I had also established this relationship where my self-worth came from academic achievement. Mm -hmm. And I think I basically this, it came from, you know, being gay in Northern Ireland in the eighties, nineties, when you just weren't able to be gay. Mm. You know, I literally didn't tell a single person that I was gay until I moved to England or was about to move to England. Oh, wow. How so old, think, how old were you then? Was that like 18, 19? Like 18, yeah. Mm. So basically I think with, with all this shame that I had, I channeled that into um, achievement and I got achieved a lot. Like I had, I, I, not looking back, it's, it was in, in a way manifestation. Like I literally had lists of stuff that I wanted to do and just was like busy like ticking <clears throat> through them and wouldn't let anything or anyone get in the way of mm -hmm. that which is amazing but as i said so much of it was based around you know academic achievement so then when i went to medical school i didn't have that because yeah i did well but like 
I wasn't special. I wasn't standing out. I wasn't, you know what I mean? And I just kind of had to go through this whole journey of like, oh God, like who am I? If I'm not the best at something, then my whole kind of idea of self kind of dissolved around mm. me. So, you know, just a really fascinating journey. So there was that element, but also I think at the time medical school was very tough. There was no emotional support that I was aware of. So to give you an example, week one of first year. So we're all 17, 18. Well, most of us are. And one of the first tasks is to do dissection on a cadaver. Now, I'm Catholic or brought up Catholic, Northern Ireland. I'm used to seeing dead bodies at a funeral. We, you know, we have open casket. You have the body at the house for a week, you know, if, if it's a family member. So I'm used to being around dead bodies, but for a lot of people, they've never seen a dead body. But no one, no one pulls <laughs> us aside and says, you know, oh, by the way, you know, most of you are going to have a new experience. Um, it can, you can often people feel a certain way. You might feel nauseous. You might feel lightheaded. Some people faint. Wow. You might have vivid dreams tonight. Like no one did that. It was basically you're just like shoved in a room and there's all these dead bodies on metal tables. Oh my God. You know what I mean? And but, it's like, there's just- the, Were you, you know, doing so it? it you were actually like, doing. Yeah, yeah. You weren't observing, yeah, yeah. So you were doing. Oh wow. We're observing and doing, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. So it, a lot of it was kind of prepared for you, but you were definitely having to hook around and- it's like a horror film and you know and it's and it's just a it's a it's a it's a, an amazing experience it's a humbling experience um you can't you know you can you can read a hundred anatomy books but learn more from actually being there you know yeah. with the body but it's such a crazy experience and no one prepared us for that and then within the same week we were doing venous section which is taking blood from each other and again like that's a huge thing like a lot of people are squeamish around blood there's all the psychology of that no one ever stopped us just to say look you know this is wild like it's okay to, you know to feel a certain way there was no um and then also i remember one person fainting during the dissection and we all just went oh she's not going to last and she didn't <laughs> sadly but that was that was that kind of mentality which is really sad you know and also I just, I had wonderful friends, but none of us spoke to each other about our fears or our, um, insecurities or anything like that, because you just had to like toughen up and get on with it. Mm. You I, I, know, so just, and that was week one, you know? Oh my so gosh. Five years later, you know, I've got kind of chronic anxiety and do, I'm wondering why. Do you think, <laughs> do you think, before we move on to kind of you leaving it, do you think that if you were the top of the class and everyone's like, oh my God, you're, you're going to be an incredible doctor and things might have gone a different route. Like if you were uh, still the big fish, do you think things... No, because the, there were times when I really excelled and I really shined and really met my own expectation, but it didn't matter because yeah. ultimately I was really miserable mm -hmm. at it. And um, I could see the benefits, obviously. Like I have so much respect for people that are in the medical profession and I... Or, you know, when I talk to my sister about it, she's just helping so many people mm. in so many ways. But no, I just, I think uh, partly I, at that age, I didn't have the emotional intelligence or basically the the tools that I currently have as a 40 year old at my disposal to be, help me navigate any of that. It's mm. just a wild ride. There's just so much pressure, um, such expectations, um, so much power that you're given, so much responsibility. I just didn't, I just didn't have it in me to deal with that and feel okay i just felt crap most of the time if i'm honest you know um and 
yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. And I've never regretted it for a second, like leaving, you what, know, I've just, yeah. What was the turning, was there a moment of realization or an episode that happened or how, what was the turning yeah. point for you where you decided yeah, so, that's it? Yeah, yeah, so I graduated and I got offered a couple of really good jobs and I started to work as a junior doctor. So I was working in Sunderland Royal Infirmary and um, I think the tipping point was like I, well, first of all you're given your schedule for like the next year or two years and i realize now that that just does not work for me like mm-hmm. i i have basically <laughs> have commitment commitment issues around work like i yeah i would struggle to have any like weekly commitment right now honestly mm-hmm. so, so but i couldn't i can i can see that now, now as an adult but back then i knew that it felt really weird mm-hmm. but i didn't understand why but basically um I did a week long shift of tw- of twilight shifts, which basically means that you kind of arrive at work at like 4.30 and all the doctors that have been on the wards during the day hand over to you. And then you're there till midnight. Wow. Basically, um, just covering, you know, all the, all the wards. They might, there might be like say a dozen wards that you're covering and you're getting bleak the bleeps going off and you're constantly like running often i would wear trainers like you'd run somewhere and then while you were dealing with someone who might be quite ill you know you'd get a bleep and you'd you'd be kind of you'd need to then go and respond to the bleep because something actually might take precedent over that mm. something might be more urgent so you're constantly kind of juggling um all that so yeah so basically i, I think those shifts can be really isolating and i think it was just the straw that broke the camel's back and after that set of twilight shifts, I was just like, fuck it. I was like, I was <laughs> so miserable. I was like, honestly, I looked like, I've always been like a slight person, but I basically looked like I had an eating disorder. I um, was dead behind the eyes. Like people would say to me, oh, you're really good at your job, but I can tell that you're miserable. Like, it's mm. so sad because I had no sparkle in my eye. I just basically was showing up, doing my job, but I just, there was no joy in it. And I, but yeah, and I had chronic essentially chronic anxiety and were, were you sleeping and, at that point um i was sleeping okay but um i just was miserable and i i had started meditation in my final year at medical school and it was literally the only thing that was keeping me anyway anchored like it was the only thing that was keeping me from like a nervous breakdown i was tra- i was practicing transcendental meditation twice a day wow. and it was amazing it was like the big honestly like it sounds cheesy but it was the it's it was it changed my life more than anything has ever changed my life do like, you, st- do you just, still practice it, that I, it's a weird one i practiced it religiously for want of a better word for um the good part of a decade like i wouldn't go without practicing twice a day wow. um and now I use it more as a tool when I feel like I need it. But honestly, I need it every day. <laughs> but I just, it's just a weird one. I got out of the habit after, weirdly, after 10 plus years of now not doing it every day. Because I think um, back in the day, I saw yoga as all-encompassing. I saw it as something that should tick every box for me. I saw meditation as something similar. And now I have a bigger toolbox. Mm. So I have more things that I get to play with on a day-to-day basis to make me feel the way I want to feel and um 
meditation is one of those things whereas back then it was literally the only thing if that and exercise were the only thing that kind of made, that helped me keep it together well i guess we'll move, we'll move in some different directions but what's what's in your yeah. tool, what's in your toolbox now yeah so uh you know yoga obviously um somatic movement um being in nature so hiking i live in a really beautiful neighborhood in la so i'm out outdoors most of the time um breath work um you know trauma release exercises um yeah just a ton of a ton of stuff like that that just helps me feel the way i want to feel um exercise you know cardio you know doing some weights at the gym um yeah, just a lot, lot of different things that help me. And how feel good. How, how did yoga and meditation come into your life? Did you actively go looking for it because you were so stressed at work, or did you? Yeah, did it just find you? Great question. Yeah. Well, so basically, I was dating a guy in as I was about to graduate, and he kind of saw how I was doing. He just saw that there was a lot of kind of generalized anxiety. And I was feeling tired all the time. And I was like, if I'm feeling this way as a student, like how am I going to feel as a junior doctor? I was like, oh shit, like I'm in trouble. So he said, oh, there's this thing called meditation. I was like, oh God, yeah, I've heard of that. It's so funny, isn't it? How, you know, we're all in this world, but like back then meditation, like I'm talking about like 2004, it just wasn't a was word you heard that often. Mm-hmm. One of my bosses used to meditate. He's like, I meditate with my wife yeah. every morning. And I remember thinking like, I just imagine you them like, dressing up in like <laughs> Buddhist monk gown <laughs> and then like tree. having an altar and then kind of bowing towards the altar every morning. And I just think like, oh, weirdos. Fine, like, yeah. you're a nice person, so it must be doing something. It's quite hippie weird. back yeah. then, wasn't it? Yeah, I was mm. like, is this some sort of sex cult or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just like... I'm but in. Yeah, but basically, he, he was like, definitely give this a go. And so transcendental meditation can be very, very expensive to learn. Yeah. Which is interesting. But basically, there was a guy in my local area who was offering on like a sliding scale, and I was still a student, so I approached him. And he's this remarkable man, Um I went and did a one-on-one session with him. I had an out-of-body experience from, oh, wow. from this first session. Like just literally, he was sat, we were sat in a room. I had my back to one corner. He had his back to the other corner. We were both on these wooden chairs. And as he was guiding me through how to even begin a meditation journey, I felt like my chair like lifted off the ground. And then I started to move up towards the top corner of the room as the room expanded. It was like, I was like, hell, oh I was like, is he spiked my drink? <laughs> but actually, but no, and, re- and without like joking aside, I really went with it. And I was like, oh my God, like, I feel like this. Yeah, I feel like I'm observed. Like, yeah, it was just such, I can't even really put it into words. Honestly, it was just, it was this remarkable experience. And then that went on to group meditation sessions that we were there that were kind of facilitated as part of this, Thing that I'd signed up for and I just honestly it just there was just a switch went in me it just accessed a different part of me and I just had boundless energy um I would meditate for 20 minutes and feel like I just slept for eight hours oh it was just um it was remarkable it was really remarkable and then as I said that you know gave me the energy I needed to keep trying at working as a doctor mm-hmm. and then um yoga naturally kind of came yeah 
off of that, you know, I'd kind of opened this door and my mum had practiced yoga from a book in Northern Ireland in the 80s and 70s and 80s. So it, was, it had always been in the back of my mind of this weird thing, you're making shapes. That's, that's a bit odd. Mm-hmm. Like, how's that benefiting anyone mm-hmm. kind of thing? And then, um, you know, that, but that seed planted and grew. And then I just eventually started practicing yoga all the time. When you, when you started to see the benefits, particularly of meditation, did any part of you think like, why, why aren't we prescribing this? Why aren't we giving yeah. it to some of our patients? Uh, yeah, in a way. Um, but I had got so used to medicine being in a box, mm-hmm. its own box. And I just, at the time, God, like nowadays, doctors prescribe yoga like mm. oh my god back in back <laughs> in the early 2000s you would have got struck off mm. <laughs> you're trying to do that you know so it just it just wasn't a connection that i ever made because no one else was making the connection and but i was recommending it to a lot of people you know my sister did the, the transcendental meditation course with me my mum did it my grandmother did it i was basically just saying to everyone oh my god like this is like this stuff's but this is bonkers this practice is amazing you know are you able to share the name of the course or the teacher just so we could put it in the notes? Because I'm sure there's lots of people saying, what's the name of the guy? Don't worry if not. So the guy, yeah, the guy is called um, Chris Greathead. Chris Greathead in, based in um, Newcastle. Look, I Thank hope, I, I'm sure he's still doing his thing. But I think you can also search for transcendent like you know it doesn't yeah, have to yeah, be transcendental yeah. meditation but you can if, if transcendental meditation is intriguing to you you can you can definitely find more economical ways mm. of yeah, accessing definitely. it you mm-hmm. know I think you don't pe- have to pay like thousands that some people do yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. i think a lot of people who are new to meditation which is a lot of people even in the yoga world yeah you know, many yogis haven't really mm-hmm. been exposed to proper meditation they just the amount of varieties there are out there you know, there's yeah. meditation to sound, kind of like what Holly facilitates. Mm-hmm. There is meditation yeah. on an object. There is mantra. Mm-hmm. There is guided stuff, transcendental. So many thoughts. So if you, I guess to all the listeners, if you want to try meditation, don't just try one style. Don't just try one yeah. voice mm-hmm. on the, what's it called out? The headspace. Yeah, try a few. Yeah, there's literally something for everyone. Mm. You know? Were you, and sorry, carry on. Yeah, no, and it's, it's just not some weird practice. It's like, it's literally something that anyone can access you just it's it's all seem like yogi you just need to find the right teacher or the Mm. right the right practice within yoga you know um yeah holly what were you saying i was just going to say were you kind of this way inclined before you found meditation you know did you have a sort of um did you uh, were you did you have a spiritual kind of um you asking me if i'm a hippie yes basically (laughs) i was trying to find the words yeah um i was just always very open yeah Remember when that book, The Secret, came out? Oh, yes. I love that book. Adam will have something to say about it. (laughs) I loved that kind of stuff. If you can see, like, past the Americanism of it, like, the concept behind it, it was life-changing for me. Yeah. And there was a book called The Present. Oh, I've not heard of that one. Which was really amazing. Mm. And it was all about being in the present moment. It's not written by the same person, is it? No, No. I don't believe so. And then there was obviously The Power of Now. Oh, Eckhart Tolle. Oh my God, I read that and I was like, like, this should be prescribed. I was like, everyone should be reading this. Yeah, and his story's incredible. You don't look convinced there. (laughs) You should read it. No, Eckhart Tolle I like. (laughs) Yeah. But I think with with things like The Secret, I'm not against it. For me, anything that that helps people, as long as it doesn't yeah. hurt them, is fine. Mm. Whether it's exactly. whether it's placebo or not, whether it's just you know, what's what's the main thing in this secret? The law of attraction, mm-hmm. and you know the your idea thought, that your you know, thoughts if, create your reality. Yeah, that 
don't really believe in that, but my belief is that actually, if you want something, you go out your way to make opportunities happen. You well, present that's part yourself. Of it. You present yourself. It's for me. It's all very logical, and that's kind of my bias. Is kind of logic and reason. Yeah. And Holly, Holly plays. The, I'm more the yin magical, to my yang. ethereal. Yeah. But I think that it's maybe the same thing, but we just use different language for it. Yeah. Is what I've come 100%. to realize. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you know it. You know, you know, to come back to your question, it did literally start me on that path. Mm. That's when I really look back and go, what were the things that kind of even made me open to try and meditation mm-hmm. when it was suggested to me there, those books opened something, yeah. you know, yeah. softened me to that idea. So they say that you're, I think it's great. You know? they, they say that the secret comes into your but, life just at the perfect time. It's meant to. So maybe lots of members of the audience are like, oh, I'm going to go and read that but now. I, I think exactly. actually in, the, in these formative years, sometimes you need something that is a little bit out there to draw you in. So for, actually for me, it was yeah. the uh, the pilgrimage and the alchemist by Paolo oh, Coelho. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Quite, quite cheesy, quite a light message, but as an 18 year old. They're so lovely those yeah. books. So, suddenly I was wearing Kareem pants and smoking shisha. Uh, you're <laughs> a really? hippie. And you, feel, and you feel like you've discovered something that like, yeah. no one else has. Yeah, yes. yeah they did. Oh, I need to like buy this book for everyone. <laughs> so true. And yeah, what was the other one? The Cat Cahill Gibran the Prophet. Oh, I, I yeah, literally started beautiful. buying that for people because I found it in one of those discount shops in 99p. And just started, yeah. uh, started, started spending like, it. I, I can afford this. I can afford 99p for let, a few people. Let, <laughs> let, let's let's fast forward. So in between you leaving doctoring, you ended mm-hmm. up working in fashion for a little while. Then you know, in kind seemed of... like the obvious thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then in kind of yoga management roles. So at what point did you think actually teaching is what I want to do? I know you're from a family of teachers, but what point did you think yeah. actually I want to be an educator? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've always been an educator in some way. I I used to, when I was doing my A-levels, people in my class would come to my house for me to tutor them, mm. you know? And then I would also, and this, just, this, didn't, this just happened organically. It wasn't, it was really no thought behind it. They were like, well, you obviously get this. Can you help me get it? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Um, and it helped me understand it better, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that phrase, if you want to really know something, teach it. Mm-hmm. And then also I informally was teaching younger students in the library after school. My dad taught the school that I went to, the grammar school I went to. We lived um, you know, out outside the town. So I was relying on him to get to bring me home. So I would wait behind me in the library most most of the time if I wasn't doing other activities. And I would basically tutor other students. It just happened. It was again, you know. So I've always been a teacher. And then but basically I got when I was working for Paul Smith in Sydney, um, which is a whole other podcast <laughs> episode, mm-hmm. um, I got into yoga in a big way. One of my to-do lists, um one of my things on my to-do list when I moved to Australia was grow my hair, stop biting my nails and get into this thing, yoga, that I've heard about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was, they were my main goals. Let's see, let's see it's your nails. Achievable. Let's see your nails. Oh, <laughs> they're, they're a bit grubby, sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I basically started, I, I walked to work every day in Sydney and I w- w- walked past this cute little place called Govinda's and they they were like an Indian vegetarian restaurant but they also ran these yoga classes and I just signed up and it was just absolutely loved it these two two teachers that I had in Sydney were just amazing and after quite a a couple of years of practicing regularly I just I had it like almost like an epiphany one day I just suddenly saw myself at the front of the room going oh no I I think I'm going to do this down the line 
Oh, so, so just to, to add something quickly, the guy that recommended me transcendental meditation, the guy I was dating, on our first date, he said to me, which is a weird question considering I was just about to graduate to become a doctor. He said, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, oh, I'd work in fashion and become a yoga teacher. No. Okay. No, no. Yeah, yeah. No, I forgot that happened because we lost touch. That after I, <laughs> after my period in Sydney, I did actually head off and, and do a yoga training and then moved to London. We, we reconnected. He said, what have you been up to for the last five years? And I said, oh, well, I quit meds and I worked in fashion for Paul Smith. And now I'm, I'm hoping to become a yoga teacher. I've just trained to become a yoga teacher. He went, you taking the piss? And I went, no. he went, do you remember, you might not remember this, our first date, this question I asked you. And he, and then I went, oh God, yeah, I remember that. Anyway, so manifestation. That's, Polly, that, you that's know? the secret right there, but you've paired the it with secret. action. You've, you've had the thought, exactly. you've said the words, you've paired it with action. And that is how yeah. it works. <laughs> <laughs> and then from yeah, that, and then, when did you yeah. think, when did you become like a full-time teacher? What was the plan? Mm -hmm. Was it, what, did you think, because many people, you know, you don't go into yoga to make the money, do you? When did you think actually no. this is going to be a career? And did yeah, you, did you I, kind of resign yourself to the fact that, you know, you're not going to make that much money from it. It's going to be a bit of a quieter life, but. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, basically, um, because I had a really successful career in fashion and I could have stayed in Australia long term and I could have stayed working at Paul Smith long term. Uh, but that's not where my heart was leading me. And I've always just been someone that when I decide something, I go with it. And my, I, I, look, I was I moved to London in 2009, which was in the middle of the recession. It was not probably the best time if you'd planned it to move to London, but I was just like, I'm not gonna let that stop me. So teaching the teaching journey took me a while. I started to teach in my living room. I then eventually hired a church hall. It was all very much under my control. I started to cover classes for a few people, but I was working at Tri Yoga behind the scenes. So I worked there for 10 years in the head office and, um, it was amazing just because I was around a lot of really inspiring people mm. and I got to know the industry very, very, very well because I was helping to run what was, what, you know, is probably the biggest yoga business in Europe, if not the world now that yoga works has closed down. Yeah. Nice. So, or has changed their model. They haven't closed fully, but um, so yeah, it was just a really organic process for me. And I knew ultimately that I wanted to teach more, but I didn't know what that looked like. And I, at one point, I, one of my rules was putting up the big posters at Tri Yoga of all the guest teachers and anyone that's doing like a big day long workshop. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, oh yeah, one day I'll, you know, my picture will be up there. And then, and then it was one day, you know, cause, but it just was an organic process. It just, I took my time and eventually I was just ready to start teaching bigger classes and try yoga trusted me and i started to teach there but i always did it alongside other things so the whole time i was in london which was for 10 years i was teaching yoga but i was also working as a massage therapist i was teaching anatomy which i've been doing now for 10 years um i was teaching big classes and i was also teaching private lessons so i was doing a lot and then towards the end of that chapter, I was just like, anatomy is the thing that I'm best at. Mm. Um, it's the thing that I enjoy the most. And it's the thing that potentially will make me the most money. And look, we all need to pay the bills. Yeah. So then th that's now what I literally do full time mm. is teach anatomy to yoga teachers. What do you think made you, I guess, succeed as a teacher? Of course, there is no, there is no perfect teacher. You know, no. People love different teachers for different reasons. 
But I, I always think one of the key features I find about any teacher is they know a lot, whatever that might be, whether it's about chakras or about yeah. anatomy, but they can effectively communicate it in an engaging way. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. that's the only like commonality. But beyond that, what do you think made people resonate with you and allowed you to be successful before you found your niche of teaching anatomy? What yeah. allowed you to then thrive as a teacher at the beginning? Yeah, I I found comfort and ease in teaching, which was a journey, and then what that allowed was for my personality to come across. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, I have a reasonable personality. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought I just was able to use a lot of humor and create a very relaxed environment, which is also what I do ultimately when I teach anatomy. So yeah, I just and I, I love people. I love connecting with people. I I would I would spend time connecting with people, remembering their name, remembering an injury that they're working with. Um, you know, things like I didn't ever put myself on a platform in terms of like I didn't look down at people I would literally like if someone was sat on their mat I would go over and sit on the mat next to them and, ha- and be like oh hi I'm Andrea I'm I'm teaching the class today we I don't think we've met before and just like just simple things like that's just always come natural to me so just I'm I'm here on your level this is a two-way dynamic yeah and that just worked for a lot of people and I had really busy successful classes in London which was fun did you um, insist they call you doctor at that point? Yes, <laughs> Doctor Yogi. <laughs> you would get a block thrown at you if you called me. Out. No, um, no, I didn't. And I, I think people liked that I. Uh, some people liked that I had a medical background, but I didn't. I didn't ever really push that. People knew I would. I would promote my workshops, and people knew that I taught anatomy. And people that had looked me up would know about my background. It's in your but, bio. It's in my bio. Yeah. Before we but move... I never, it never, it never, yeah, it was never like, oh, the doctor's in the house kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on, I just think that's a really important thing for new teachers, what you said about being very natural. Like you weren't performing, you were being very much yourself. Yeah. And of course it takes a little while to be comfortable enough to allow yourself to be yeah. yourself and expose yourself to the world. And although we talk about being yourself, it is a regulated version of yourself. Because if you are, yeah. if you're hungover and you've had a bad day and you're utterly yourself, that's not that professional. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a balance. But that is what I think draws people in more than anything else, that they're actually being taught by a human being mm. with emotions who isn't trying to put themselves on a pedestal, as you say. That I think is a real winner for mm. any yoga teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think the Northern Irish accent helped. I was going to say, yeah, yeah it's, it is a winner, definitely. Like, I don't hear it. I don't, you know... But yeah, but it's look, so I, lovely. I, watched, I was watching Dairy Girls last night, and I was like, "Oh no, oh, it's so it, good! It's, it's a cute, oh. it's a cute accent." But like, I don't, I don't hear myself and go, "Oh wow." So one of our brilliant. one of our really close friends, uh, a guy called Henry Morgan, who now teaches actually, he teaches lots of Nidra. Uh, mm. And he's just got this enchanting Irish, like Northern beautiful. Irish, Belfast accent, yeah. really thick. We actually got him to do our vows at the wedding, just because he's uh, got a great speaking. Voice. And then his, <laughs> and then his, his partner Mark, he's he's not a strong Welsh accent, but it's, you know it's a little bit of Bristol Welsh accent there. Which between it, that just the, the accent, they're just covering all the bases there. Aren't yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like me, all right, mate, you know, open up to warrior two. Bashed it out there, haven't <laughs> not, you? Not the same. <laughs> not the same effect. I would love to know actually quickly that's right um 
I would love to know, uh, obviously you teach anatomy, but you've got a real lovely spiritual side as well. So how does that play a role in your anatomy teaching or does it not? Is that for you or do you kind of bring it in in other ways? I'd love to no, know a little bit about that. No, it does for sure because like when I teach anatomy, it's way more than, oh, this is the femur yeah. and this is the psoas. Like, that's all great, but it's I just see it more as a way to empower people, mm. you know, by helping them remember how amazing their bodies are <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so i think there's a there's a lot of spirituality and a lot of philosophy that weaves in not not necessarily with i don't have always have the intent to do that but it just naturally comes into it mm-hmm. so you know it ends up feeling more like um like a group almost like a coaching session mm-hmm. <laughs> you know sometimes rather than oh here l- learn all these muscles and that'll make you a better yoga teacher mm-hmm. so no it does i think it's nice and sometimes i get reminded of that which is lovely to hear um so yeah it definitely it definitely comes through um, when, when did you realize that this could be a niche you could capitalize on yeah so basically i had never thought about teaching anatomy and i was um assisting on one of the massage courses that I had taught on or that I had been taught on. And one of the students there knew about my background and they said, oh, have you ever thought about teaching anatomy? And I went, oh my God, I had the biggest <laughs> light bulb moment. I was like, I've literally never even considered that. <laughs> it was like, what the hell? Like I needed someone else to, to suggest it. And then literally I went, oh my God, yeah, this is what I'm gonna do. And I went home and went, oh yeah, I'm gonna become an anatomy teacher. So I reached out to, um, a teacher that I knew reasonably well called Ryan Spielman, who has been teaching Ashtanga for years. And I said to him, look, Ryan, I know that you run your own teacher training. If you were looking for an anatomy teacher, where would you go to look for that kind of person? Because I want to start to understand how I'm going to market myself and like reach out to people about this idea. I have. And he went, well, funny enough, I do. I am looking for an anatomy teacher. Oh I have a course starting in a few months. You want to teach on it and i was like yeah mm. and then i suddenly like was like shit i have to like bloody design like a 20-hour course <laughs> um but yeah so um and then um from the very start it was very obvious that it was just something that i was really good at because the students just resonated so strongly with my teaching even from the very first session when i was really just figuring out what i what i was doing um and then I was focusing on teaching on people's teacher trainings, which is a great way to get your name out there, but it's not necessarily the best way to make money. Although it's a regular income, it can be a regular income and it can be something that you don't, you just have to show up and teach. Mm. Like you don't have to worry about marketing the course. Does that make sense? But then I started just to slowly teach my own workshops and I was like, okay, yeah, I can make a living out of this you know and i still am touch wood yeah how is the like how have you found you know you talked about like an ashtangi there the the uptake or the interaction between you know traditional ways of doing asana per se and I say tradition sometimes a tradition we talk about is 100 years old so is that tradition yeah yeah yeah, yeah. The, the traditional way of doing asana combined with kind of contemporary understanding of the body and then of course a whole other layer of not just the names of muscles but how the body moves and how it interacts and force and tension and biomechanics like yeah. how have you found that the more traditional styles have appreciated your knowledge or have they been against it? I just yeah. t- if you could talk no. a little bit about that about that hey, i've people have been very appreciative it's it's the teacher not the the school of yoga or you know what i mean so it's like 
um, the the teacher the the teachers have gravitated to me mm. and said, do you, "Would you like to teach anatomy in my course?" Because I think they get a sense of my way of looking at things. You know what I mean? So I've never, I, yeah, of course I get pushback from people, but um, the the teachers that I've taught alongside on their trainings have always been very open to it. And sometimes I've had to go, okay, look, I've been um, bunkering down and doing a lot of research and actually I'm, my whole take on a certain topic has changed. Can you hear me out? Because mm. it would only feel authentic to teach from this new mm. point of view mm. and that you'll need to know this because it might alter a few things that you teach, you know, and then mm. they've always been really open to that, which is amazing. So I think, again, that kind of phrase, you know, people gravitate to you like you know like teach in the way that you need to teach and just trust that the right people will come and that's always been my experience um yeah and also i teach in just a very non-dogmatic way and also i'll i will never say oh i am a hundred percent correct i'll just be like based on the information that we have at hand this is what we're currently thinking mm. <laughs> you know it's never black and white it's never like my way or the highway so i think people also really appreciate that mm. i like that and that, that's i think a really it's good a sign movement. of a wonderful teacher mm. a teacher that evolves a teacher that says actually that thing i taught last year changed my mind oh my here, based yeah. On yeah, and it's and it's and it's hard like i'm not saying it's easy because i i have had like my teaching style has radically changed over the last decade and at times that's been very confronting because i'm like oh god like i've said something a thousand times that's technically not biomechanically possible <laughs> but then and then i feel kind of shame around that but look all we do is the best we can on a given moment mm. based on the current experience we have and the information we have at hand and it's just the willingness to be open to mm. refine what we do is all that can be asked of us so i've it's been an interesting journey so now i'm i'm fine i'm much more comfortable to go oh last year this was my take on it this year it's mm. now something different mm. in the past that was more challenging because i i was more firmly rooted in a belief system <laughs> and then to kind of refine and evolve that was kind of confronting but i'm a, i'm more comfortable with that now you kind of alluded to there that not everyone necessarily liked you so some people love you but not everyone liked you so i th i kind of described that based on the analogy earlier that actually big fish small pond etc etc mm -hmm. what seems important actually is being a unique fish and actually yeah. finding your because you don't need in any in any industry really to make a good quality of living you do not need everyone to like you what's no. more important is you have a, a smaller number of people that really like you <laughs> and yeah. of course yeah. that means there's going to be some people that really don't like you but that's a good thing yeah. and some people don't and that's okay and like look every time i send out a newsletter unsubscribe unsubscribe and that's okay because i'm like great because they've, they've gone off on their path and it just means that i would hate for people not to have the option to unsubscribe mm -hmm. because then i'd be sending information to people that really don't want to receive it mm -hmm. and i if I, I put all this time and effort into my newsletters i i want people to get something from it and if they're not they move on that's fine i often i look at when i look at instagram i'm like oh this week i've had just as many followers as i've had unfollowers and i'm like great because it's just some people come along they maybe glean something or they don't and they move on and mm -hmm. then other people are here to stay a bit longer i'm like great look that comes with age 10 years ago i would have been really bothered by that <laughs> um you know but now i'm just like great that's fine mm -hmm. um 
you know, um, so yeah, and I, d I definitely get a little bit of pushback from what I do, but I don't get as much as you might imagine, which is interesting. Um, well, I guess it's the fact you're a good doctor in the title. I think that, yeah, that might a weird, help a little a bit. The one, people it? That, it does help. But because you are, you are undoubtedly, and, but you are visibly more probably more qualified than them so it's it's hard it's harder to argue with you whereas if it's well, just yeah maybe 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 not well look it's it's the interesting thing is that you know what my medical degree helped me with is helped me relearn anatomy to apply it to yoga yeah mm. it gave it i had the foundation i had the language i had the tools because if i was teaching anatomy more from scratch it would have been i would have had built up that foundation so does being a doctor make me a better anatomy teacher no does it make it easier for me yes mm. you know what i mean so you don't have to have a medical background to teach anatomy you just have to really put the work in <laughs> can we talk a little bit about i guess about yoga anatomy and kind of what that means because you know i've heard someone i think jules mitchell might have said it uh, she mentioned that sometimes people learn enough anatomy to be confident and then actually dangerous, <laughs> in a sense. They, you know, on a 200-hour training, they get like five hours of anatomy training and they really believe in what they've learned. And actually, all, they've learned almost enough to be, they're almost told that like, the knee is a hinge joint, you should not twist oh, it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So like, have you had to, uh, how do you think a yoga teacher should use anatomy? In a sense, you know, if you're teaching a class, you know, I know lots of students don't even barely know what a bicep is. You know, no mind, yeah. don't dump into your supraspinatus, or external, internal rotation, etc. So how do yeah. you teach yoga students to use anatomy in their sequencing or their delivery in a way that yeah. is useful for the students? Yeah, I like, honestly, I tell people not to. <laughs> <laughs> really? So I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm just say, try not to use it. Like, don't use it just as a crutch or use it as a way to like, oh, I'm, yeah. I've just been on anatomy weekend. So here, let's throw in all these names and muscles. You know, just be really considerate about why you say certain things. And is it is it ego or mm. is it is this actually helpful? Are most people going to know what you're talking about or are they just not going to know? So I, I, what I try to do with my teaching is I try to, I, I always say that the why informs the how. So I I think learning anatomy can help you understand why you say things and why you do things as a teacher. But we don't always have to explain that mm. at every moment to, mm. your to your students. That's where we get into trouble because then instead of going, well, traditionally in warrior one, we keep the knee above the ankle. What people do is they feel like they have to explain themselves. So they go, and this is to protect the knee joint, <laughs> which it isn't, which is false. And it's also fear-based. It creates this, this incorrect narrative that the human body is fragile and it's mm. not. So I think that's what I encourage people actually not to do. I actually encourage people with when learning anatomy to say even less than they do before mm. <laughs> because you don't have to fill space like it's okay for there to be moments of silence in fact that's really important yeah. and honestly my 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 recommendation to people is after doing a training with me i hope this helps you to say less <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> honestly you know um because I give, I I aim to give teachers the confidence again, just to be themselves and not not feel like they have to say things because their teacher said it or because they mm. heard this on YouTube or whatever. Mm. It's like no, just just like let's understand 
why we're doing what we're doing, why we're saying what we're saying. I love the word. Not, um, not, not, o- not open your feet at the pages of a book because everyone's yeah. always said it forever, <laughs> for instance. Yeah. And do you find that sometimes as well when you're teaching, as, as a yoga teacher teaching a public class, you have to say things that are almost anatomically incorrect in order to educate. An example might be like breathe into your belly. And obviously yeah. you're not breathing into the belly, but it gets a point across, for instance. Yeah, or I would just say something like, notice your belly expand as you inhale. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think there's there's always a way, because I'm really big on language, so I think there's always a way of like playing with what you're saying to make it a bit more accurate. And often it doesn't really matter. Like if what I, if people imagine that they're breathing into their belly, it's not it's not the end of the end of the world, you know what I mean? But <laughs> but it's also I just I love to be accurate when there's an opportunity to be accurate. So I think there's always a way of like playing with our language. And I, I teach a lot about language. I, write, I run like workshops literally just on language because mm. to me, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, yeah, and occasionally I'll say things like um, lengthen the spine, even though I know that the spine can't actually lengthen, mm. but it's actually sometimes it can just be, or we can talk about visualizing the spine lengthening, yeah. you know? So I think, I think it's okay. I don't, I don't think that every class has to be a hundred percent, like technically accurate, but, um, but there's definitely some things like the word protect that we could really all do with just completely like throwing in the bin because it just doesn't really serve any purpose in terms of empowering our students. So how would you deal with something that you know students do regularly, perhaps, that is potentially Mm -hmm. injurious and you keep seeing them do it? How would you advise a student to deal with that? Yeah, I think I use a lot of mirroring. So like... (laughs) In what sense? Mimicking them. (laughs) No, mirroring. I think it's my weird... It's the Northern Ireland accent. But... um, they're basically reflecting back to people. Um, so for example, if I see someone do something often in a class, I might use that as a as an opportunity to get them to reflect on the experience. Like, how does this feel for you? Mm. You know, or... Um, Can I give you an example? Yeah. Let's say like dropping the head back vigorously. Yeah. Like debatably, it feels good, which kind of is an issue that it feels good in the way that like drinking two bottles of wine kind of feels good. Yeah, exactly. So it, kind of, it think... feels good. We know it's not good for us. So how yeah. could how could a teacher persuade that student yeah. in a way that isn't like yeah. don't drop your head back because there's loads of risk? And that I guess is that language that would be, I guess, negative language. But yeah. what, what solutions might a teacher use to deal with that? Do you think? Well, what one way that I would approach it is to say, well, look often when we're making a movement with our body, we lead with the path of least resistance. Mm. So what a lot of people do is they, when they twist, they twist with their head. Or the eyes, <laughs> that, just the eyes, just the yeah, eyes. The <laughs> eyes. And I'm like, well, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're, we're gonna come to that, but we're actually gonna, we're gonna keep the, the head looking forward, the eyes looking forward. And then we're gonna make the movement, you know, with the lower back, with the thoracic spine, and then now see how it feels to with control, lift your head, mm. you know? And that's just a different approach. So yeah, like be, having the ability to tip our head back is very, very important. But as you say, like most people do without any awareness 
And I think that if you were fully aware of what you were doing, it wouldn't like dumping your head back in a Batman probably wouldn't feel good for, I would say about 95% of people. We'll have not researched this, but yeah, <laughs> it just, you know, because just also simple things like it's just very difficult to breathe in that mm. position because you're almost like occluding part of your airway, you know? M- so I think that um, I would just maybe approach it in that way, you know, and say, look, it's very easy to lead a backbend with your neck. We're going to get there, but actually let's start from the foundation. So as a general rule, I guess, moving the things that are hard to move first, then move the thing that's easy to move. I've I've been using Sunny as an example lately. (laughs) Uh, You know, the idea that Sunny's our son, who's like 10 weeks old, 13 weeks old now. (laughs) Saying to my students, look, I've just got my 10 week old son to be honest, to maybe not drop his neck back so much. I want to do that. Yeah. For, I just want to do that for you as well. Yeah. <laughs> and they get it. Yeah. <laughs> what does your own yeah. practice look like? Mm-hmm. Very unsexy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to look at visually, but I mean, you, no, you no. talk about. Yeah, yeah. So really. So for me currently, I really focus on like somatic movement mm. because that's really what my body needs from yoga. You know, and and often what my mind needs. Can is, you describe so, that? Because like a lot of people won't know what somatic yeah, movement is. Yeah, so it's basically I use, I roll up my mat, and I basically use that period of time as a chance to really just get into my body. So it's like super slow, mindful movements, working through most of the major joints in my body, um, not worrying about range of movement, but focusing on how the movements feel. So it's the quality over quantity, I guess, is one way of saying it. Um, I, it's just a very mindful practice, you know, and it feels amazing. Mm. And I'm always shocked at how much better I often feel after doing it, even though yeah. it looks so simple to maybe someone observing it, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, just very different because in the past, you know, I I started off with Hatha and then really got into Ashtanga Yoga and um, I think I mentioned earlier, like I wanted Ashtanga to be my everything because at the time you were frowned upon if you went for a run or if you went to the gym <laughs> and you were doing Ashtanga. Yeah. Like, no, this is your practice. But now, you know, I, you know, go to the gym occasionally, I'll go hiking or I'll go swimming and do this kind of stuff. So yoga doesn't have to tick all the boxes. So for me, it's the mindfulness aspect of it. And it's a chance to stop and go, how does my body feel today? How is my mind? How are my energy levels? It's just an opportunity to check in. And mm-hmm. by moving mindfully, for me, it's the easiest way to do that. So it's really, really important to me. So what, um, what do you have coming up now, course-wise? So if people want to interact with you, what are their yeah. options? Yeah, I've got loads of stuff going on. So basically, something for everyone, you know? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, got, I've got a lot of amazing pre-recorded content so i have a big 30 hour yoga anatomy online training that's on demand so it's you can access it whenever you want it's got lifetime access so it's it's great i I filmed it during the pandemic so it was you know one of the positives of the world stopping as i got to do things that i have been wanting to do for years and just haven't had the bandwidth so i've got um on demand content i do live online workshops so i'm teaching one on language in March. Um, I've got a new book out, which came out in the summer, which is my second book. So it's The Physiology of Yoga. And Matt and I, uh, Matt's my co-author, we're um, running these really fun uh, book clubs because like, like we've all we've all gone out and bought a book before. 
and then we get it home and then we're like, oh shit, I now I have to read this. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the book club guides everyone through a chapter of the week each week. Mm, and it's idea. just a really wonderful way to interact with us, to ask questions, to bring it all alive. So the next book club starts in January. And then I'm starting to dip my toe back into in-person teaching. So I'm, I, look, I was in London for 10 years, so I'm. it's all UK based at the moment, but I'm back in the UK teaching in-person events in April and in July and I'll probably be back a little bit later in the year too so yeah lo- you know lots of ways and I put out a lot of information in my newsletters and on social media and my blog posts and like you Adam I write for yoga journal a lot I've been writing for them weekly for the past few months well done good effort I, I so I'm like um, one, one piece a month <laughs> oh it's a lot it's a lot and some some weeks I was doing two and I was like oh my god so yeah so you know I'm just churning out the content <laughs> do you not do you not teach in person america is that like green card stuff i i don't so um because well a i'm lucky to have a, a really good following in europe mm. you know where i can go and know that i'm going to get a pretty good turnout when i do something mm. um here it would kind of be like starting over i'm not i'm not totally opposed to that but but also i moved here just a few months before covid hit so i haven't had the opportunity to really connect with a lot of studios particularly um also with the green card i didn't know the green card's a funny one because it's while it's amazing now having it you don't know when you're going to get it so you but you're not allowed to leave america while it's been processed you're not allowed to work there so I basically had this indefinite period. It was like, oh shit! So I wrote two books in that time. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> we're gonna, you know, so we're yeah, going to do some quick fires now, if that's all right. Oh god, okay, okay. No, it doesn't. <laughs> need, it, doesn't need, it doesn't need to be like super quick. Mm. Please, okay. it's not going to be anatomy questions. Is that you're not going to put me in the spot? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. What is what is <laughs> sacred for you? Oh, sacred for me. Um, sleep. Oh, nice. Rest. Not, not that before. I, I was going to say time, but I'm also trying to be go out of my comfort zone and give time when sometimes I can be very protective of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, sleep, rest, friendship. Mm, lovely. Friendship. But time, I think. Time, I think it is wise to be sensitive to time, you know, because time is yeah. is finite. You know, yeah, and often we often we're not conscious about that. Yeah, I I think sometimes I just need to. I sometimes I could be a little more generous at, at times with it with well, th- my time. Thank you for giving us your time today. It's <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, as we have been talking about manifesting, what would you like to manifest into your life before the year is up? Yeah, just you know, um, continued abundance. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, I I really, really, I'm in a lovely place in my life where I really, really believe in in what I've created with mm. my courses and my books. And honestly, I just want that content to reach more and more people because mm. I believe in it and I believe it's going to really help people. And it already is helping people, so, um, yeah. you know, so, yeah, you know, um, I just want, I want to keep planting seeds mm. and um, 
also, I just really want to spend more time on becoming more patient with stuff because, you know, I'm, I've been in a big period of planting seeds and sometimes I'm like, I just want to smell the roses. Like where are the roses? But the mm-hmm. roses just aren't ready yet mm-hmm. to be sniffed at mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, like there's a lot of, you know what I mean? So yeah. So I want to also just, <laughs> you've, got, you've got quite aggressive rest around the roses. <laughs> I've never heard of anyone sniff at the roses. Well, maybe maybe a distance problem. just <laughs> snorting. Maybe this is the problem. I'm just being too aggressive with the little stuff. Four roses. Two book-related questions. So I guess first one is, what percentage have you read of that bookshelf behind you? Or have you been guilty of assuming you'll absorb it by osmosis? And then the second... I'm a... Yeah. I've got the second layer to the question is what book have you read recently that has a, has had a profound effect on you? Ideally not, not your book. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a big, big reader. I've read most of these books and um, I always have a stack of books by, by my bed. Um, lovely thing is a lot of these, well, quite a few of these books are from family members. So I have two New York Times bestselling authors in my family. Oh, wow. wow. Um, so I have, um, okay, hold on. Where are they? Has my husband moved the books? Okay, so the first one is, this is my sister's, book from scratch that has just been made into a netflix show oh my gosh so she was executive producer <gasps> on that and it was the world's number one show last wow, week wow high um, achieving family bowling family yeah and then this is attica who's an amazing um very prolific novelist and also a big screenwriter she has written shows like little fires everywhere <gasps> um, i love that show oh my god when, when they see us about the exonerated yeah. fires well, are, they, are, are these all cousins or these are my sister-in-laws wow. sisters-in-law oh so you can't you've got no genetic claim <laughs> i don't have any genetic claim but i'm claiming them anyway so yeah so um what book have i read recently that really Ooh, let me see. I'm just gonna just turn my back. Have a scan. And see if I'd get inspiration from anything here. Um, I don't know. That's a really hard question. What you um, what you're reading at the what, what you're reading at the moment? Share that with us instead. All right. So I'm reading um, the Thursday Murder Club. <laughs> oh, that's a guy. That's the uh, British quiz host who wrote yeah. that. Yeah. Really... Yeah. Yeah. Insanely popular. He's done so well. They're so fun. They're so light, fun. Is it serious? Cute. Yeah, it's the third book. It's really, really gorgeous. No, um, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm kind of drawing a blank there. Um, I, I do read some quite deep stuff, but often. I'll just read also just for a bit of escapism. Mm. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't answer your question, Adam. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay. Right. I'm going to follow up. I'm going to text you an answer. <laughs> Could you leave us with one of your favorite quotes or sayings? Lyrics, mottos. If you have one, just put um, one on the spot one more time. Yeah. Wh- um, what people think of you is none of your business. Oh yeah, I like, I like that, that one. That's, That's a good a nice one. one. Mm-hmm. Perfect. We should, uh, we can we end, just, yeah. We can yeah, end sorry, it there. Yeah amazing oh thank you thanks for sharing your time with us oh it's been my pleasure it's been really lovely to okay. connect with you both thank you for inviting me on thank you so much and we'll on chat soon